Anne Louise Gittleman, your hostess with the mostest for the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, where we bring you the latest, greatest game changers in the field of health and healing and nutrition space every single week. And today is no exception. I welcome Camilla Reese, who is a wonderful public health advocate for those of us that are being impacted by the wireless revolution. She's the author of Public Health SOS and The Wireless Elephant, my friend Camilla Reese. So welcome, Camilla Reese. Great to be here with you, Anne Louise. You have, been, you have been such an advocate for patients, patients' health, and worldwide wellness. What is the problem with 5G? Well, a lot of people are now focused on 5G and concerned about it, but really all the Gs matter. And G stands for generation. So this is the fifth generation of technology there's still 4G, 3G, a little bit of 2G left, and um, 5G hasn't even been fully developed, but there are some new aspects to 5G that are coming, some that are here. One's called beam forming, where the, the, the beam is focused intensely at a user, as opposed to you know 4G and 3G, let's say there was a cell tower and it would blanket a whole area and you as a, somebody with a cell phone could tap into it because it was all around you. Now, these are going to be directed beams right to your phone. And in order to have that work, they, they're still gonna need to use 4G for your location identification and for voice calls. 5G is really for data. And um, eventually it may be for voice, but it's um, what people are concerned about is that all, well, all of these generations of wireless technologies there, think of it as energy. There are, they are um, energy forces and there are frequencies and they all differ, uh, you know, in terms of the frequencies and the modulation and signaling characteristics, but they're all energy. So they're all bio affecting our biology um, by being an unnatural energy force. So what kind of symptoms do people get? What are the symptoms of radiation? Is this radiation poisoning, radiation sickness, another form of it? So um, what many people notice is called, um, there are the acute symptoms. They notice that first, acute symptoms, and people are diagnosed with something called electrosensitivity today. Um, these symptoms range from headaches to um, fatigue, to heart irregularities, to memory loss, hearing problems, um, sleep disturbances is very common, many, many, many. There are myriad of different symptoms and people tend to get di different ones. And um, because it, think of it as like, we have a beautiful nervous system, a regulation system that keeps everything in balance. Mm. And when you're introducing these, these frequencies and this energy, it's disrupting that natural communications in our body that keeps us in balance. And so, um, you know, people get all kinds of symptoms and it's really become a very serious problem. Back in 2002, there was a survey in California that showed that 3% um, of, of Californians then had severe electrosensitivity symptoms. And so let's, and that number is, is estimated now at about 8%. Let's just assume it was just still 3%. 3% of the U.S. population would be over, well, it would be 10, 10 million people. Wow. And then there are 35% who are mildly affected with some of these symptoms. 
And so that would be over 100 million people today. It's a very serious problem. So how is it diagnosed, my friend? Well, there now are two um, diagnosis codes for, um, for this problem, for biological effects from um, wireless technologies. I think it's W90, but I'm not positive about the number. And um, recently in 2020, there was a study by um, Dr. Dominique Belpom and um, another, doc another doctor um, in, um, in Belgium, I think. And it was called electrohypersensitivity, a newly identified and characterized neurological pathological disorder, mm. how to diagnose, treat, and prevent it. So they say that sufficient clinical, and I'm quoting, sufficient clinical, biological, and radiological data for electrohypersensitivity to be acknowledged as a well-defined, objectively identified, and characterized pathological neurological disorder. So wow. it, it, that's a worthwhile paper to read how, because um, they did a thorough review of how one could diagnose this. So how did you become so involved? I mean, you're very passionate. You are Miss Electro Hypersensitivity. You know more than anybody in the field who helped me with my own book on, on ZAPT. And I was so impressed with the wealth and breadth of your knowledge. Was there a personal issue that made you so in, imbued with passion to really spread the word about the toxicity of all of this? Well, yes, I was already focused on issues in our healthcare system because it, didn't, it doesn't get to the root of the problems, any problem. It most, unless it's like a surgery, you know, an orthopedic, something like that. But for the most part, these chron chronic, chronic illnesses represent about 78% of total healthcare costs and, and our healthcare system doesn't get to the root of the problem. So I was already focused on that. And then I got um, affected by a new neighbor's router. They had moved in next door. I didn't know it. They put a router right on the other side of the wall from my pillow. Mm. And after couple of weeks and a few months of that, I was so debilitated. I had, I figured it out and I got out of there as soon as I could and then started reading the science and meeting the scientists and putting on programs around the country to educate. So you have written quite a few books. What are they? Well, the latest one was um, The Wireless Elephant in the Room. And you can get that on Amazon. And the first one was really, I did with Dr. Magda Havas and it really was a compilation of answers to questions that had come up at one of our programs at the Commonwealth Club of California, our first program, because there were so many questions and we couldn't get to them all. So we said we'd get back to people with the answers. And then we realized what a big effort it was and ended up put, putting it into a book format to, to make it widely available. So do you think that all this 5G that we're expanding into has any connection with COVID? That's, um, a big well, That's a big question, yeah. but I need to ask you. Yeah, well, I can say that um, we know for sure that the um, electromagnetic fields are impacting the immune system. So there's a very good chance that it, um, it is, it is um, you know, impact, it related to this, um, to, to COVID in some ways, that and also the electromagnetic fields increase the blood viscosity the thickness of the blood. So that could be a factor also because people are getting blood clots. Um, I don't think, it also affects, greatly impacts um, you know, mitochondrial function. So all systems, many, many systems in our body are being impacted by the electrical, um, by the electromagnetic fields. 
I could go on, you know, cortisol, neurotransmitters, um, oxidative stress, um, depletion of melatonin, very, you know, very of great concern because it not only prevents you from sleeping well, but um, it's also um, one of the best things you could do to, to protect yourself from cancer. So there are many, all this dysregulation that's happen, happening certainly would make people more vulnerable to illnesses of all kinds. Um, is there a virus? I, I'm sure that there is. Um, is it a man-made virus? That's what it looks like. Um, is the, it is sort of interesting that many of the antennas um, well, the antenna, the 5G had just turned on in, in um, China. Oh, right. and it, on. it also had just been put on the ocean liner, the cruise ship that, um, remember that first cruise ship where people- Yes, yeah, and, and that, people don't know that they actually had the antennas on the ship right. itself where everybody got sick. That's right. So is it the cause of it? No. Does it exacerbate it? Yes. Would I tell- anybody that they should not have wireless in their home during a pandemic and should minimize the cell phone use? Yes, I would. People would be very well served to minimize these, anything that's biologically disruptive, whether it's electromagnetic fields or exposures to chemicals or, um, you know, metal. heavy metals, mm -hmm. infectious disease organisms, stealth pathogens. What about the children? I'm so concerned about the kids. Well, um, it initially the phones are really the voice part of phone phones is not going to be using 5g, but what we know about 4g and 3g is that it greatly impacts children. Um, but they're much more vulnerable than adults. And, um, so there's a, been a great increase in glioblastomas, um, in the past, uh, two decades and, um, very significant rise in, um, in, in young children. Um, we also know that it, the radiation penetrates farther into the brain and, um, you know, it's, um, the, I'm trying to remember the statistic, two times the radiation to the head uh, absorbed, mm. uh, compared to adults, three times in the brain's hippocampus and hypothalamus, greater absorption in the eyes in children, and as much as 10 times more in their bone marrow compared to adults. So the sort of things that are pe children are having to begin with from these electromagnetic field exposures um, are, I mean, it's just a travesty. They're being, first of all, the, you, in the, the um, fetus is being impacted in utero. Then um, if you've had in utero exposure, you're 54% more likely to um, have social and emotional, emotional problems by the time you reach school age compared to uh, other children. It impacts cognitive function in children, attention, memory, learning capacity, um, uh, social skills, reaction time, all, all kinds of things. And even one study at Yale, well, it was in mice and it showed that mice exposed in utero to electromagnetic field wireless technologies um, ended up having symptoms when they were born that were um, equivalent to um, ADD, ADHD actually. Uh, and mice don't normally get ADHD. So there's, um, there's a lot of evidence of the risk to children. And you know, 46% of children today, age two to four years old have their own mobile device. You're kidding. You're no. kidding. Nope. And that's from uh, Common Sense Media. 
And then 67% of five to eight-year-olds have their own mobile device. These are smartphones or tablets. Yeah, so this is insane. It's insane, Anne-Louise, um, what we're doing to children. And actually, I like to um, sort of quanti uh, quantify these exposures. Um, if you assume that there's a 15-hour waking day, like the rest of the time you're asleep, um, and if you're using your phone for five or, or any kind of wireless exposure, if you're online for five hours a day, that is the equivalent of one third of your waking life. One third. Unbelievable. And if it's like eight, I'm trying to look for the chart. If it's eight hours a day, it's almost three quarters of your waking life. You know, we've been given a life to enjoy and to growth in. And so we are, we are not seizing the opportunity that we have we are just throwing it away by being online this degree this degree in our life becoming addicts to, to the stimuli instead of um you know developing ourselves in, internally we are like people are just totally mesmerized by the technology they're addicts to all the interesting things but they don't realize that a lot of this addiction tech addiction we're seeing around us is actually related to the electromagnetic fields themselves so one tip for people is that if you are going to use these devices, use them on a hardwired ethernet connection, not on wireless, because if you want to minimize the, um, or at least reduce some of the addictive nature of these technologies. So my concern is back with the children. So what do you recommend for kids? What do you tell parents? Don't you have a wonderful Facebook group online campaign against radiation in schools. Um, yeah, we have um, a Facebook group called Campaign for Radiation Free Schools. Also have um, um, a website called Manhattan Neighbors for Safer Telecommunications. That's manhattanneighbors.org. There's all kinds of information there for parents and um, you know to understand what the risks are to children and what they can do and what schools should do and what's is a document there. You know. Um, um, about electromagnetically clean schools, how to, what does that look like? But it's really important. I wanted to mention one other thing that um, in terms of the side effects for children is there was a study that caught my attention out of Saudi Arabia, King Saud University. And it looked at, um, they, they looked at 159 students ages 12 to 17. And they, each school, there were two schools and each school had a cell phone tower that was 200 meters from the school building. My goodness. Okay. But one tower was more powerful than the other, other tower. And what they found was that the closer one was to the, um, or the, to, or, or the higher power from the one tower was associated with significantly increased risk of um, hemoglobin A1C and risk for type two diabetes. Now, you know, we really ought to be paying attention to this, not only for children, but for adults, but it really made a difference. And that's one study worth knowing about. And you see the risk, the real crux of the whole matter is the exposure guidelines that are being, um, um, are now in, in the light, in the focus of the DC circuit court, thank goodness. Um, but, tell, and, but tell us about that. Is, is, does that have to do with the FCC regulations? Yeah, well, see, the FCC sets these exposure guidelines, and they are fraudulent to begin with because they're only considering the, power, the effects from the power. 
they're not looking at the non-heating effects, the non-thermal, the frequencies, you know, the modulation. They're really just looking at the power. And they're saying, okay, these would be the exposure guidelines for, you know, for power. So they're not, so then, but in addition, those guidelines for power are also not accurate because they're basing their guidelines for power on average levels of exposure. And that may be true for physics, you know, but for biology, biology responds to the peaks and the pulsing. So they are misleading people saying that, oh, if you're within this level, um, the powers, you, you know, the risk from power is low. But the other thing, is that for, so first it doesn't also it also doesn't include the the subtle the, the non-thermal effects also doesn't include the fact that um that there have been there was a study by Gultikin and another fellow uh, Gultikin was with um uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering and the other fellow was from Bell Labs and they looked at the effect of radiation on cow brains and guess what they found that the absorption of the radiation is not uniform that it actually has hot spots that are at least seven degrees um, higher than the FCC guidelines, seven degrees. Mm. So, so there are hot spots. It's not uniform absorption, and most, and incredibly importantly, the guidelines don't even begin to attempt to protect you know from the non-thermal effects. We don't have safety guidelines for the non-thermal effects, and that's what needs to happen. So the FCC. Um, all these industry players, the, the manufacturers and the service providers, they've been the, taking cover under these very um, antiquated. Yeah. And well, yeah, not even, I mean, yeah, not even, I mean, just misleading safety guidelines. And so now the DC circuit court, they were, I think it was 2013. The, it was suggested to the FCC that they might want to do a review of their safety guidelines and they took, took it up and did a review. It took six years. All kinds of evidence was, was submitted, 11,000 pages worth. Mm. And um, they came back last fall and said, uh, we've done a review and we don't see a need to change. Oh, the for God's sakes. And so the court gave them a real spanking. And they said, this is an analysis. This is arbitrary and capricious. It's not uh, an analysis one would expect of a federal agency and the FDA that you say you also rely on, they didn't do a proper analysis, it would be expected of a federal agency. And, and actually they specifically mentioned, um, you know, uh, what about um, the, the evidence that for neurological effects, what about the um, evidence for risk to children and to the environment. They, they, and so they sent the FCC back to, to their, to try to come up with a rationale that where they could justify how they got to their conclusion, which of course won't be possible. And the other alternative will be that they'll have to go through a full NEPA environmental review. And of course that will bring it all out. And so they're in big trouble, I'm so happy to say, and um, that they'll try to delay this as long as they can, but we're finally moving in a direction where it, it, by, you know, a court has acknowledged the inadequacy of these guidelines and they are the crux of the whole issue.
And before we continue, I want to thank you once again, my wonderful sponsors, UnikeyHealth.com, the home of all my formulations, including Bile Builder, Mag Key, and Super GI Cleanse, as well as CS-Health.com, the home of the only official activated sulforaphane products for internal and external body and beauty care. Thank you so much, my wonderful sponsors. So what can people, so here's the issue that I think people are going to be wanting to know. What exactly can we do to protect the children, ourselves, and our unborn children? Mm -hmm. So if you are um, pregnant, you don't want to use a cell phone and you would best not have Wi-Fi in your house. There's, there's period. Yeah. There is evidence that not only does it affect um, the behavior of the children once they're born, but it also affects the organs. Um, so is there, and, not, is there an autistic connection? Um, you know, some people um, would say that there might be. And if you look at the growth in autism, the graph of when it started really increasing, it was right around, it was exactly at the right same time that the antenna proliferation started going up. I mean- What it, year was that? Uh, I wanna say uh, 1990. Um, I think it was 1990. It was in the early 90s. In the 90s, yes. Yeah. And if I have this graph and it's um, it's really quite amazing. Um, however, um, I, and there's never been, um, you know, a genetic um, explanation for autism. So Dr. Martha Herbert, at um, who used to run the Transcend Research Lab for Autistic and Developmentally Challenged Children and Adults, she said, is she out of even, Pittsburgh and she's the gal that's no, out? No, Har Harvard. She was, a, she was a professor at Harvard. Now she mm -hmm. runs a foundation called the Higher Synthesis Foundation that's looking at all of these root causes, root sources of imbalance, because they all come together to dis cause dysfunction, including glyphosate, which, um, you know, oh Steph my God. yeah, Stephanie we got to throw Stephanie. that in there. She's um, Stephanie Seneff just came out with a book called Toxic Legacy, all about glyphosate. Well, extremely important and probably related to autism as well. Um, so um, I think that um, the jury's out. I mean, one of the big problems with this field and why it hasn't really gotten the um, serious attention that it deserves is that there's disagreement on the causation mechanisms. And so, you know, there, there are all these fra the fragmented pieces of knowledge. Like we know that electromagnetic fields create oxidative stress. We know they create mitochondrial dysfunction, membrane leakage, like yeah. in the blood brain barrier. Cal calcium dysregulation. DNA damage, calcium effects. And, and more recently, there's understanding that... Um, that the, they create um, inflammation, which Doc, Dominique Belpom in Fran France, the one that published that paper on electrosensitivity, his mechanism of action flow chart really focuses on inflammation. And then there are people um, like, uh, then there's the understanding of the role of water in our bodies, that, that water has memory, as we all have known for a while, and it can carry information. And so we are, surrounding ourselves with, and our bodies are 99% water by number of molecules. And so we are 
sending these frequencies into the water in our body. Mm-hmm. And some people believe that that may be the master, you know, um, mechanism of effect that then causes the, uh, the rest of it. Richard Lear believes that peroxynitrite, a molecule that's created by, generated by EMFs, um, that this is, um, this causes, this can be explained to cause all the pathological effects that have been identified. Martin Paul thinks it's both um, the calcium, um, calcium efflux as well as the peroxynitrite. He agrees with peroxynitrite. So we're getting higher and higher up in terms of understanding what might be the issue. Zach Bush thinks that it's the probably the impact on bacterial communication is probably one of the most important things. So, you know, it's It's multifactorial. Yeah. And in fact, in terms of bacteria, I should mention that there was an article um, by Tahari and all, and they in 2007 on showed antibiotic resistance from with RFR exposure, radiation exposure, um, resistance to E. coli um, and, um, and listeria and the, the, the anti, um, you know, the, the, the antibiotics didn't work. Then there was a, um, gene expression is different, is, um, it changes in E. coli after exposure to 2.4 gigahertz wireless. Um, you know, so their DNA level, you know, changes that are happening that, that may be explaining, it's complex, you know, and nobody really there. I think maybe the water may be the, the smoking gun, but we'll have to see and publish on that before, before one can be sure. So when I do my podcast, I'd like to present an issue and then give them very tangible solutions. So tangibly, what can we do in, the, in, in our lifestyles? And what about taking yes. certain vitamins, minerals, amino acids, okay. herbs? Let's go to that route. So first of all, you want to use a landline phone as much as possible. If Got it. Landline. It landline, everybody. Okay. If you've given it up, get it back. And um, for, and that's still possible to get it back? In some places. And in some places, they're actually pulling up the copper and trying to make it so you really don't have any choice. But at least you can use a landline. You can also use an Ethernet connection on your computer and use a Skype or, or a Zoom or some other um, you know, voice over internet. Uh, landline's much better quality voice, though, if you have it. Excellent. Landline then, number one, number two. If you use a cell phone, you want to use it with a speaker or with a wired headset, headset and minimize the time. You know, you don't want to have it next to your head. You don't want to have it next to your body. Ideally, it wouldn't even be in your hand on the speaker. Put it on a desk and, and get in the practice of turning it off and then turning it on when you want to use it or you want to check some messages or something. Turn it off or put it on airplane mode. Which one? Yes, exactly. Either one is fine. Either one makes a big difference. On airplane mode, there's still a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, transmission, very, very minimal. Um, but and then you've also got the battery effects, and the battery is another kind of electromagnetic field. Um, it's mag- magnetic fields, and those are just as of great of great concern as well. Um, so off is the best. And what and then, about disabling the Wi-Fi at night? Well, if you have Wi-Fi, which I don't recommend, um, you want to put it on a plant light timer at night 
so that it automatically every night goes off while you're asleep at a certain time and then goes back on in the morning if you use wireless. What I prefer, I mean, that's a good, that's a good first step. But what I prefer is the JRS Eco Router that's made in the Netherlands. It was a, originally an Asus router that they added on some software to, and it is not on at all unless it's being called for. So it's not on overnight. It's not on during the day when you're there unless you're calling for it, want to use it. So you're not being blanketed in it. And, um, and when it is on, they figured out a way to filter out about 90% of the transmissions. So it's well, much, much less. What can so, you take vitamin and mineral wise? I've heard about C60. Do you think that's effective? Um, Carbon 60. Yeah, I, I, have, I have no experience with that. Um, I do think that any kind of um, neuroprotective strategy is smart. Ah. You know, um, any fats, or you would probably know better, um, but I would say any kind of strategy to protect the neurological system, because actually you wouldn't believe how much the neurological conditions have been increasing over the past two, three decades. They far more, far more, actually cancer and cardiovascular illness has been declining and the neurological illnesses are off the charts. Interesting. So would, nope. Nobody's um, talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Martin Paul has talked about it, but. Um, May he rest in peace. No, Martin Paul. Uh, oh, Martin, Martin Paul. Paul. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was thinking of Marty Blank. <laughs> yeah. God willing, he should live for a very long time. Marty Paul He's yeah. a doll. <laughs> so, um, so neurological, um, I also say support your immune system. So I recommend vitamin D, a high doses, especially now that we're in a pandemic. 5,000 to 10,000 I use in, in an oil base. For neurologically, I like the phospholipids. I like a choline. I like a phospholipid, like a, even a sunflower less than from organic sources. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's easy actually to put in like a smoothie. If you make a smoothie, just put some of that lecithin in. Um, just got to get in the practice of regularly doing things that support neuro neurological. Then let me, um, let me just go on with, um, we've got the port portable phones. If you use a portable phone, unplug it, use it only for special occasions. Like if you need to be out in the garden and you're waiting for a call and, you know, they use it then, but don't leave it on in the home because the base station of these portable phones they're radiating 24 seven. And if you have it right at your bedside, bedside, you're really impacting your brain. So that is not smart. You want to unplug portable phones. In Europe, they have something called an eco-decked phone, which is only on demand, but here we don't. Um, then you wanna hard, ideally you wanna hardwire your internet connection with cable or fiber. And, and also remember, after you've done that to disable um, the wireless in the computer software, you know, put your computer on airplane mode, otherwise it's gonna be working both ways. So you really, and then if you're in a place where they, um, I, I use um, a wired only router um, and the, you won't find them in the stores, you have to get them online, but that, and that assures me that 100% of the time that I'm on the internet, I'm on a hardwired connection, not wireless. But if you buy a hybrid router that has the potential to be both a wireless and a wired, it may sound, sound convenient, but unfortunately, sometimes they default back to wireless and you don't know what's happened. So you need to regularly check your environment, environments change, get a meter, 
And um, what kind of meter, by the way? Well, you, there are different meters for different kinds of electromagnetic fields. So you want a meter that um, is able to measure or detect um, the radio frequency fields, which is what is, comes out of wireless and cell phones. And I have a store site that's called emfsafetystore.com that there are a couple of different options listed there. One is the acoustometer developed by Alistair Phillips. Um, I use the old electrosmog meter with the orange ball on top. I find it really just, I've been with it for so long that I, I know what the numbers mean. And um, there's a new meter out that's called um, the safe and sound meter. Uh, I've had, I have a little bit of experience with that. I, I tend to prefer the acoustometer. Um, we get different readings. So I think that, um, that uh, I don't know, all three, you know, as a detector, it doesn't really matter. You're just gonna be able to see, is it high? Have I successfully remediated and got it down to low or green or the both the uh, safe and sound and the um, acoustometer have a sound capability? And, um, or there's an acousticom too that has the sound capability. So that's helpful for you know illustration purposes to show people you know how these invisible frequencies that we can't see or you know feel we don't have any warning system like we do for a chemical where we'd smell something bad. You know, it's a great thing. It's I think everybody should get a meter actually to really know what's going on and um, to, to know what changes. Things change. I was fine where I am now for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden I started getting dizzy and not well, it turned out I got out the meter. Oh my gosh, the levels are really high. Where could they be coming from? Not again, you know, not this again. Turned out a new neighbor had moved in um, in this location and put two routers on the other side of the wall. Oh my God. And I had to remediate. I had to, I did, I'm so proud of myself because I I got the industrial quality aluminum foil. I got beautiful beige linen fabric and put it over it so you don't really notice it. And, um, you know, I got it down to zero in the meter. So we really need, there's nobody that, there's just not enough people who are trained in this. Um, so we need to become empowered. And you can study all about this through the Building Biology Institute in Santa Fe. They have online courses, they have in-person courses. And as you know- They're a and, wonderful group. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and don't forget also with the computers that you want to hardwire all the peripherals, the mouse, the printer, printers are one of the highest emitting um, uh, sources of electricity. And the keyboard. And the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Printers, you also need to, um, not same thing, you need to hardwire it to your computer but you also need to then go into the software on the printer and just turn off the wireless and then it's done. So before we go, and I know you've got a very busy schedule, where can people find you? They can find me, um, they go to manhattanneighbors.org and email me off of that. Um, they can connect with me on Facebook at the um, Campaign for Radiation Free Schools. And those are probably, or electromagnetichealth.org, um, one of the, my early websites. And that's either any, any three of those, any one of those three, um, I can be contacted, happy to talk to people. I'm so happy that you agreed to be my guest today. Will you come back? Of course, Anne Louise, my pleasure. Happy to come back and talk about, there's so much to say on this topic and um, people don't know. 
it's just you know not been something on people's radar screen i mean more people know now than when i started in this field but you know we need we need millions of people to take a stand for this because not where that where we're heading if i could just say one last thing where we're heading is this somebody's fantasy of an interconnected world through wireless technologies even through satellites beaming 5g to millions of earth stations on the ground that then are connecting with our our routers and and antennas in our neighborhoods you know we, and we've got the antennas going up every couple of utility poles sometimes every utility pole i've seen and coming so close to to us there's this antenna densification that's just as important as the the power and the frequencies the densification getting closer and closer to us in our homes with the internet of things outside in our neighborhoods with the antenna, utility poles uh, antennas on the utility poles and coming from space they're projected to be um 50 to 80,000 satellites going up transmitting wireless from space this is really I mean, there are so many people like um, astronomers and uh, NOAA warning about weather forecasting interruption and lots of lawyers getting behind this now, but the, the, you gotta really step back and say this whole picture is, in, is insanity. We're disrespecting life. We're disrespecting that natural balance in our bodies, that, that um, those regulation systems. We're you know, we're playing with fire. We're, you know, and we, we see it in the numbers of the people who are chronically ill. I mean, today I looked up the other day, there are 4.4 billion prescriptions in the United, issued in the United States or filled in the United States today. 4.4 billion prescription. And we have what, 3330 million people. Unbelievable. You know, like we are a sick, sick, sick world and we've got to step back and look at the forces that are creating the, the this this ill health and ill in, in, in physical health and inability to focus and all the kids needing to be on drugs add drugs you know we need to really step back and learn and go back to nature and go back to the basics and begin again with a healthy relationship to life I love that. On that very positive note, tune in yet once again next week, my friends, for another First Lady of Nutrition podcast where we bring you the latest, greatest news that you can use to be healthy and happy for the rest of your life. Have a magnificent week. Shalom, shalom. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.